Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your holy presence this morning. Lord, we come as your people that you've given to Christ, your people that Christ redeemed by his own precious blood, that we may be holy and blameless before you in love, having chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now here we are, Lord, hearing the gospel of grace, the gospel, the amazing grace that saved us from our sins. And Lord, we pray and thank you for the revelation of Christ to us. We thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit who gives us understanding of the things of Christ. And so, Lord, as we are here this morning, we ask for your Holy Spirit to teach your people, to illuminate to us and give us light to spiritual things. For the flesh profits nothing. It is the Spirit that gives life. And we pray, Lord, we thank you for these words that you recorded for us by the pen of Apostle John. Amen. John 8, 12 to 20. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Then they said to him, Where is your father? <laughs> Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. It seems John is obsessed with that hour had not yet come. The title of our sermon is, I am the light of the world, or my witness is true. We are still at the great feast of the tabernacles. And that is why the story of the woman caught in adultery does not flow very well with the narrative that is in these chapters. Chapter 7 and 8 of John are essentially a continuing narrative of the same event. That is the event of the feast of booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus is still dealing in chapter 8 with the same crowd in Jerusalem, and the question 
of the identity of Christ continues unresolved and Jesus attempts to resolve it is only bringing more confusion and hatred. But Jesus, as we have been learning and seeing, he does not apologize for it. He does not say, well, I'm sorry. (laughs) I did not mean to say those hard things to you. Jesus was unapologetic about his identity then and is still unapologetic about who he is even today. Because the identity of Christ is important to our understanding of who Christ is and to everything that he did and does. You can say everything that is correct about what Jesus did. That he was born of a virgin, that he healed the sick, he raised the dead to life, and that he died and resurrected and ascended to heaven and still not believe in the true Jesus. If you do not know the identity of Jesus Christ, you do not know God and you do not believe the gospel. The gospel is the gospel because of who Jesus is. The gospel reveals God in Jesus. I hope someone who is confused about this matter will listen to this message. Because this is very important and these things are not taught well in a lot of churches. The gospel reveals God in Jesus. It reveals the righteousness of God in Jesus. It reveals the life and light of God in Jesus. And so if you miss his identity, then you have missed Jesus. And you have missed God. And you have missed the gospel. And whatever you call Jesus is not the Jesus of God. But a Jesus of one's own imagination. And so... Whatever you call gospel is your own gospel. But it's not the gospel that saves. Because the gospel that saves requires you to have the correct Jesus. If you go to South America, you go to Spain, you're going to find a lot of Jesus. But they're not the Jesus of God. If you miss the identity of Jesus, even your gospel is false and you are believing a lie, and that means you are still in your own sins. And if you are still in your sins, it means the wrath of God abides on you. And when you die, unless you repent and believe the truth, God will send you to hell. And the truth is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Who is God the Son? Who is the Son of Man, the Son of David, the Nazarene, who is the Logos, the Word of God that became flesh, that clothed himself 
in sinless human flesh that he may become the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The elect of Christ in the world from every tribe, people, tongue, and nation. Jesus is the perfect man and God. And in him there is no sin because he is God. He is God from everlasting to everlasting and he cannot sin because as God he is holy. He is light. And because he is light, there is no shadow in light, which means there's no sin or even potential for him to sin. If you take light, the light does not form a shadow. That means God cannot sin. Christ is God and Christ cannot sin. Christ is God and that means he also is unchangeable. He is immutable. Because for you to sin, you have to be someone who can change. God does not change. It's only moral creatures, men and angels, who sin. Because they are inadequate in themselves. And they have no light in themselves. They do not have light in themselves. And that is why Jesus is going to say, I am the light of the world. And if you follow me, you won't walk in darkness. You need to follow a light which is not in you, but a light that has been provided you in Christ Jesus. So moral creatures sin because they are inadequate in themselves. And because of that, they want to be more. They want to be more. And so they covet. They steal. They murder. Because they are seeking to increase their own glory. But Jesus has it all. And he cannot be made better. There's no improvement that can be done to the person or work of Christ. And that is why salvation cannot be made by our own obedience. For our obedience is nothing. It is the obedience of a creature. It is not even close to perfection because it is the obedience of one who is not sufficient in themselves. It is the obedience of one who is sinful, one who waxes old and is folded up like a garment. And because of that, your faith and mine, your faith and dependence are not what commends you to God. It is rather God who commends you to himself on account of his grace and work in Christ Jesus alone. God commends you and has commended you to himself because of the righteousness of Christ Jesus, the one whom the Father loves. Jesus Christ alone is the reason why you have a standing before God. 
Jesus Christ cannot sin. I see a lot of commentaries. I've listened to a lot of messages where people don't really know what to do with Jesus. Like, did, could he sin? Could he not sin? And they're like, they don't really know. But we know. Who is Jesus? Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. When you see him walking even with these two legs, you are seeing God walking in two legs. He is God. He is self-sufficient. And so Apostle Paul would say in Romans 11, 35 and 36, who has first given to him that it shall be repaid to him. What is that saying? It is saying God does not need anything. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. He can't sin. Jesus cannot sin because there's nothing better than him that is not already in him that he should desire as to be made better by acquiring it. You see, the Jews are going to They've been attempting to make Jesus a lawbreaker using the law of testimony and saying, you are a liar, you are making a testimony of your own self, therefore you are a sinner. But they do not know all these things about who Jesus is. Jesus cannot sin because as God, he has no needs to satisfy he cannot sin because he is above all rule and authority. He is above all the rules because he makes all the rules. And he is above all things and there is none above him to report to and to sin against. And yet sin is his servant and exists by his own decree that he may be exalted alone as God in the salvation of his people. And a lot of people don't understand this too. They'll say, oh, if you say God decrees sin, then you're saying God is the author of sin. I say that's foolishness. To decree sin is not sinning. God cannot sin. It's only creatures that sin. If you don't understand that, ask God. He can't sin because he is not a creature. Creatures sin because they are weak and they are needy. And they sin because of their weakness and their incompleteness. But Christ Jesus is complete in himself. And we who are in Christ have been accepted by God as sinless because according to Colossians 2.10 he has made us complete in Christ. We have been made complete in Christ Jesus. And that is the only way that one is going to be made complete. And that is the only way that Sister Dassel, you're going to stop sinning in all of eternity. You have to be put in one who cannot sin. And as long as you remain outside Christ, you shall remain incomplete. You may look clean, you may look put together but you're still unclean you're still empty 
Jehovah's Witnesses are not Jehovah's Witnesses. Because their witness of Jehovah is false. They and the Mormons are lying to the people and themselves saying that Jesus is just an exalted angel but who is not God. Jesus is not a God but he is Jehovah. To deny the deity of Jesus Christ means one is not saved because to be saved means to know the Son of God. And no one who has the Holy Spirit denies that Jesus Christ is God. Anyone can say God, but which God? Jesus Christ is God. For no one can say Jesus Christ is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. So the identity and origin of the person of Jesus Christ is what makes Jesus Jesus. It is what makes him the Christ. It is what makes salvation complete and perfect. The gospel, the gospel is not a plan to make sinners happy or to meet their needs or to make God happy. Salvation is the work of God in Christ to reveal God and to glorify the Son. To glorify the Son is not to increase the worth of Jesus Christ. To glorify the Son is not to make Jesus better, but it is to display the worth that is already in the Son. The gospel reveals what is already in God. It reveals the grace of God. It reveals the life of God, the light of God, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The glory of God cannot increase or decrease. It is immutable. You can't increase the glory of God. It only increases in our own eyes. The glory of God only increases in our own eyes as God opens it up to us to see it. And we recognize the power and honor that is in him. So the son has to be glorified and God has to be glorified in him in the salvation of his people. And there is no room for any created thing to glory in themselves, but only to glory in Christ Jesus. And the church minimizes the glory of Christ in their own eyes. And that is why they don't want to exalt in his righteousness alone in salvation. They want to be counted worthy of glory by coming up with these formulas that invite Jesus into their hearts and seating him in their hearts as Lord and Savior. A work that God alone is able to do. A work that God alone has already done before the foundation of the world. God has already made Jesus Lord. In Christ. The church wants to glory in man by conditioning salvation on what sinners do or don't do with Christ and not in what God accomplished in Christ. 
the church is conditioning salvation on Brother Robert's performance. And yet salvation has already been conditioned on the obedience of Christ. The work of salvation has always been conditioned on the obedience of Christ. Never on your obedience. But men want to be glorified when they add their works to the works of Christ for salvation. And to add to Christ is not necessarily to go out and start working in the fields. It is to believe in anything else that is not Christ alone for justification or for salvation. But God has planned it in such a way that there's no flesh that will boast in his presence. And he has come up with this formula. Sin removes any boasting from every sinner. It does. Sin removes any boasting from every sinner. And God knew that. And so he ordained it and he brought it to pass. A lot of people who say, there's a lot of theology in the church that sinners can decree. Oh, I'm declaring and decreeing for you, Sister Jeannie. You're going to have that new car. <laughs> it's just foolishness. And, and when the foolish preacher stands up and says that, look at the congregation. When that foolishness is being said, they stand up and they are raising their hands. I'm like, what are you raising your hands for? There's none who decrees and brings anything to pass who is not God. There's not one. It is bad theology. And it's false theology. But if anything exists, it only exists because God decreed it to exist. And he empowered it to exist. And so God decreed that sin would exist that every mouth may be shut. And he brought the law to make sure that the law will put you in custody until Christ shows up. And then when Christ shows up, guess what? You only glory in Christ. Listen to Romans 3.19. We are still in the book of John. We are waking Christ. We are waking Jesus. Romans 3.19. Apostle Paul says, Now we know that whatever the law says, whatever it says, <laughs> it says to those who are under the law, for what reason? That every mouth may be stopped. And all the world may become guilty before God. That's the point. And people don't understand that. The law was given and sin was ordained to remove any ground of boasting from you, Sister Dessau. That the only reason why you should ever find yourself in the presence of God not consumed is by the righteousness of Christ alone. So the demand of the law removes any room for boasting for a sinner. A sinner cannot honor what the law requires outside Christ. Death also, but remember the triangle, sin, law, and death. Sin removes any boasting. The law removes any boasting. And sin causes death. And death removes any boasting. So that the only reason why you have life is 
by being in Christ Jesus and having the life of Christ. So a sinner can only have a standing before God if they come only standing in the righteousness of the Son, that is Jesus Christ. And Christ is not his last name. Clarissa Sega. Sega is the last name. Christ is not the last name of Jesus. Okay? Christ is a title that respects his work of salvation, his work of saving his people from sin. He is the anointed one of God, anointed not with some oil from the store, but anointed with the fullness of God, anointed by the Holy Spirit. You have all these crazy preachers who are selling anointed, anointing oil. It's all foolishness. It's just cooking oil. <laughs> Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. That is in Christ. And by him to reconcile all things to himself by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Colossians 2, 9 to 10. For in him, that is Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Jesus possesses the fullness of the Godhead in his body. The fullness of God cannot dwell in him if he is not God himself. You can't fit a semi-truck in a Mini Cooper. Brother Guido has a Mini Cooper. You can't fit the sea into a lake. But you can fit the lake or dam into the sea. God cannot dwell in Christ in his fullness unless Jesus Christ is God himself. Only God can contain God. You need a container that is as big as God to put God in it. And Jesus alone is able to have the fullness of God in himself because he is God. So Jesus Christ is not from the earth. He is not from the world. He has a different origin. Because you see, in the book of John, the sticky point is the origin of Christ, is the identity of Christ. And that is why John would let us say that I am writing all these things that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that believing in him you may have eternal life. He is from heaven but he is more than that. Angels are from heaven. Angels are from above, but they are not Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. All things move. They live and have their being in him. And in him all things consist. And according to the right of Hebrews, he holds all things by the word of his power. This was he who was in the bosom of the Father. And it is by him and through him that all things were created and were created for him. 
as his servants to manifest his glory. And it is this one who is the life and light of the world who has come to the world but the world because of its darkness did not know him. They did not receive him because they did not recognize him and could not recognize him. The world cannot receive such a one who is not like them. Yes, he was born with the likeness of sinful flesh, but was without sin. Yes, he was born of a woman and born under the law, but he did not get his flesh from Mary, who was of the world. He got his body from the Holy Spirit. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit and had not the DNA of Mary, but of God his Father. Jesus said, for a body you have prepared for me, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Jesus did not need a human body. His human body was not for his sake, but for the sake of those who were born under the darkness of the world, that by his life and death he may lift them out from this darkness and its condemnation. So the darkness of this world, that is the sin of this world, can only be lifted by one who is from outside it. That's where we are going. And that excludes the Pope and the dead saints. One who has life in himself and who has light. Light not from a flashlight from Home Depot, that is powered with some double A energizer batteries, nor light that is from a candle light that can be extinguished by human breath, but light that is force, P-H-O-S, that is light that cannot be extinguished. You can put it in water, you can blow carbon dioxide on it, it still continues to shine. And this one is he who is in the midst of the Jews, he has come to the world and yet they question his origin because they don't know him. They think that he is a sinner who gives false testimony of himself. They think they know where the Messiah is supposed to come from, but it is all speculation. They do not know who Jesus is even though he is right there standing and talking to them. They look at him and they evaluate him with eyes that are from the earth. They, according to Jesus, they judge according to the flesh. They judge according to appearance because their eyes have been clouded by the darkness of sin. And so they say of Jesus, no prophet ever came from Galilee. <laughs> of course, you are right. No prophet in the likeness of Jesus ever came from Galilee. The prophet of the mode of Jesus can only come from heaven, not from Galilee. So they also spoke more than they knew. And by the way, Jesus, show us the Father that we may see him. So this is the one that they are talking about. This is the profile of the one who is standing amidst them. 
this is the one that is talking to them and we are still at the feast of the tabernacles and Jesus continues to give them more nuggets of himself and says we are now in verse 12 and verse 12 is a continuation of chapter 7 so Jesus says I am the light of the world he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And John has the light of Christ as one of the themes in his gospel. He has already spoken to us about Jesus being the light in John 1, 4 and 5. Sorry, John 1 verses 4 and 5. Where he said, in him, in Christ, was life. And the life was the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. So you see John has this theme of darkness and light. Even Nicodemus came in the dark. He came at night to Jesus. Judas at night also. When he came to betray Jesus. Okay, John 1, 6-9. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. John three, nineteen to 21. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. John 12, 35-36 Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer, the light is with you. So he identifies himself as the light. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. So Jesus says he is the light of the world. But what does that mean? It means he is the only source of illumination for the world. He is the only source of spiritual illumination of the world. And that implies that the world left to itself has no light. And when John uses the term world here, he uses it to mean the corrupted spiritual condition of those who inhabit this physical space. Their spiritual condition is marked by darkness and that means it is bound and is driven by sin and not by free will. There's no free will in darkness. And because of this darkness, we are aged to walk and to continue walking in the light, in his light, in the knowledge of him and his gospel, 
and that means continually hearing and learning and believing the gospel of Christ. But Jesus is that light and is the only light that brings light to a darkened place that the world in its darkness may see the great light and flee to the light. Outside Jesus Christ and his gospel, it is impossible for the world or anyone to see the depth and thickness of the darkness and the depravity that are in it. The world right now, as it stands, is in so much darkness, a darkness that is so thick that it can be felt, it can be tied. I don't know if, if you still remember Exodus 10.21. In Exodus 10.21, God caused the darkness in Egypt to fall on Egypt. And Moses records for us and says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. Egypt was a type of the world. And this darkness that God commanded was such that it could be felt, but it was just a type of the spiritual darkness and condition of this world. And it was only by the fire that came, and that was Jesus, that on the side where Israel was, it was daylight. There was light over there. The boundary, God made a boundary between the darkness and the light. And the light that was hovering over them was Christ. So he is the light. He is the light of the world. So Jesus alone is able to dispel this darkness. And Jesus does not leave any other hope of light outside himself. Not in Gandhi. Not in some enlightened philosopher. Not in some generous person. Some rich guy, some rich woman who has a big show on TV. Jesus makes a dogmatic statement when he says, I am the light of the world. And Jesus always made dogmatic statements. There are no gray areas with Jesus. No one and nothing is in a neutral position when it comes to Jesus. There are no good people who are still not decided about Jesus. As far as Jesus is concerned, if you don't belong to him, you are wicked. It doesn't matter how beautiful you are. It doesn't matter how people think of you. As long as you are not in Christ, you are evil. And you are in the dark. So Jesus has this straight metal jacket theology. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by him. Jesus is the light of the world in that even in the process of photosynthesis. You still remember photosynthesis from grade school when you're learning science. In the process of photosynthesis, 
they cannot be plant life without light. Plants cannot produce food without light. The light from the sun is what powers the plants to enable them to produce food. And photosynthesis is a picture of the gospel. If Jesus is the light of the world, then it means there's none who can make steps, who has life in themselves to come to Jesus in this darkness and be able to see him without his light and be spiritually fruitful unless he first shines his light and puts his life in the hearts of his people so as to see him and to follow him. Second Corinthians 4, 6. Apostle Paul says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But Jesus is also saying a whole lot more here when he comes and makes the statement that he is the light of the world. Jesus has a lot of pictures in mind that he is teaching the Jews and us. Jesus also has some Old Testament references of light that suggest that he is God. He is claiming his identity as God. I am the light of the world. You have the I am, the ego emi, that is the Jesus who met Moses in the burning bush. That's what he has in mind. So listen to what the Old Testament has to say about the light. Because Jesus is teaching them or is trying to get them to rise above what they are seeing in him, in the flesh, that they may see him as God. So he says, Job 29, 2-3. All that I were as in months past, as in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head, and when by his light I walked through darkness. Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Isaiah 42, 6 to 7. Isaiah 42, 6 to 7. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand and I'll keep you and give you as a covenant to the people as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. Isaiah 9-2 The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them light has shined. And then Matthew would quote Isaiah in Matthew 4, 12 to 16. And it says here, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, 
in the regions of Zebulani and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, verse 16, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. And now when you see the light in the New Testament, I don't know what version of the Bible you have. They will have the light now capitalized. Okay, It's not just regular light. It's now light speaking to Christ as deity. So we have the Feast of the Tabernacles. And the Feast of the Tabernacles is closing. And if we still remember, we are still talking about the light, but Jesus also has some light in mind that respects what happened during the ceremony, during the Feast of the Tabernacles. We talked about the water ceremony in which the high priest would fetch water with a large pitcher from the pool of Siloam and would lead a procession back into the temple. And Jesus came, if you still remember, in John 7, 37 and 38 and say, If anyone thirsts, referring to that, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So he says, I am the water, come and drink. And he who believes in me, right, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And with the Feast of Tabernacles in mind again, there was also some important reference to the light. At the feast, they used four giant lamps in the women's court of the temple. And from my reading, the light from the lamps provided light throughout the night for the feast celebrations. So there was a lot of singing and a lot of exuberant dancing. But this light, this light was used as a reminder for them of the pillar of fire that had led and guided them, setting out the way during their wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And Jesus comes and says, at the end of the feast, he is that light that provided illumination for those who were wandering in the wilderness because of sin. That light has come to them. But he is also saying more than that. He is saying, I am the light that was represented by the menorah that was in the tabernacle. In the tabernacle, there was only one source of light by which the high priest used to illuminate his way into the holy of holies that he may see God. And Jesus says, I am that light too. I am your only illuminated path to God and I provide you with the ability to approach and see God in the light and life of my own righteousness. That is why he says, you have to follow me. You have to follow him. So he says, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He who follows Jesus shall not walk in darkness. What is the assumption? 
the assumption is that one who is not in Christ walks in darkness. They are evil. They are sinful. They are ignorant. They hate righteousness and have no understanding of spiritual things. And thus they walk according to the pattern of this darkness. And during the time of Jesus, they did not have street lighting. And if you had to walk at night, you had to use a lamp. And the one person who was holding the lamp had to be walking in front of everyone so that they may illuminate the path ahead of them. And that is the same reason why we have headlamps of cars in the front. That they may illuminate the path ahead of you. That you may see and not fall into a ditch. And Jesus says, he is that light when it comes to coming to God. And the one who follows Jesus is the one who believes in Jesus. And one who is such does not walk in darkness because he has the light of Christ. They walk on the illuminated path and they know where they are going in both this life and in death, the path to Christ, the path to God remains illuminated for his people to see. Very significant statement. In life and in death, the light of Christ, which does not go out, remains illuminated for you to know where God is. But not only is the light for illumination, this light also, according to Jesus, provides life. What kind of life? The light from the sun provides plant life, but the light from Christ provides eternal life. But the Jews, again, are not impressed by Jesus' claims. They question his authority to make such claims and say, in verse 13, The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. So they reduce Jesus' identity problem to self-witness. And they conclude that if Jesus is claiming these things, then he has to be a liar. They say, your witness is not true. What does that mean? That Jesus' witness is not true. It means if his witness is not true according to them, then he should be stoned for giving false testimony. That's where they are going with it. And that is why in verse 20, John tells us that no one still laid their hands on him because his hour had not yet come. And they say that arguing from the law, as we shall see with Jesus a little later in this conversation, they are using the law to try and trip Jesus. For according to the law, one had to have two or more witnesses for their testimony to be true, as we've been learning. So they say, Jesus, you lack verification. Your testimony is not certified. You need a second ID. Ever been to the bank when you open an account? Where is your second ID? You need a driver's license and some other card. <laughs> but Jesus hits back and says, verse 14, Even if I bear witness of myself, 
My witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from and where I am going. Jesus says, yes, the law requires more than one witness to establish a matter as true, but when it comes to me, I am not bound by that. Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is still true, for I benefit nothing from lying. So Jesus says, my witness is true and does not need verification by you because you are not even able to verify it anyway. Why? Because you do not know where I come from. And you can't make testimony of a place and a person who comes from a different place than you. So Jesus says, verse 14 again, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from and where I'm going. So that is the basis on which they cannot verify the witness of Christ. Jesus saying he is not from Bethlehem and he is neither from Galilee. He does not trace his origin from these earthy places, these below places. Therefore, he does not need testimony from those who are from below. So Jesus is basically saying, you don't receive my testimony because you are ignorant of my origin. And because of your ignorance, you do not know who I am. And because you are ignorant, verse 15, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. In John 7, 24, if you remember, the Jews were accused by Jesus of failing to understand the importance of the Sabbath. And he said of them, in verse 24 of John 7, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So what Jesus is saying is, the one who is from this world, the one who is not born again from above, the one who is in this fallen spiritual world can only judge according to appearance. But even that, not with a righteous judgment. Not according to the spirit. That's what it means not to judge with a righteous judgment. And to judge according to the flesh. He is saying, you're not judging according to the spirit. They judge according to the flesh And as we know from Jesus, the flesh profits nothing. But even more, the Jews are judging Jesus, trying to place him, trying to understand him according to the flesh. And that according to Jesus is even worse because it is trying to weigh Jesus according to a worldly standard. And because they judge him according to the flesh, they placed his origin to Galilee and not to heaven. And they fail to receive his testimony. And there are many who are deceived by many false things that have been circulated about Jesus. I was on Facebook a week or so ago. There was a guy who posted some link to some website of a guy who is writing some things about the origin of Jesus and Mary and how Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene and had children 
And of course, we have had similar teachings from the Mormons that Jesus Christ was the good twin brother of the devil. Right? That's what they teach. But these are all men, fleshly men, who are judging Jesus according to the flesh. Jesus cannot be judged by one who is in the flesh. But listen to me, anyone. You cannot make a correct assessment of Jesus unless you are born again. You have to be born again and be indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God to have the true testimony of who Jesus is. And Jesus says, you judge according to the flesh, and that is not good. That's negative. But he says, he judges no one. And a lot of people who don't know how to read the Bible will come and say, see, Jesus said, you Christians are judgmental, but Jesus says, he judges no one. And of course, they don't understand what Jesus is saying. What is that saying? Yes, Jesus came to the world not to condemn but to serve. But that is not what Jesus is saying here. In this context, Jesus is saying he does not judge anyone in the same way, by the same criteria as his opponents. He does not judge people according to the way of man. They look at appearance and the flesh but these cannot be trusted to give an accurate assessment of one who is spiritual. Jesus does not do that at all. When he judges, he looks from the heart and judges with a righteous judgment. And for this, he does not need testimony from men, for he knows what is in the hearts of all men. That's the testimony of John. And Jesus says in verse 16, And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. So not only is Jesus able to make self-witness, he is able to judge, and that means to separate. The word there to judge means to separate, to divide, to pick out and select. Jesus says, if he judges, his judgment, like his self-witness, are both true. But this is why Jesus is able to do what he does. He says, because I'm not alone. So he gives legal support for his witness and says, I am with the Father who sent me and so forget it if you thought I was breaking the law. I have not broken the law of witness. I am not doing these things by myself. The father who sent me also bears witness. He bears second witness of me. And if you need a second witness, you go talk to my father. And so to your question of self-witness, Jesus says, I have news for you. I am not a liar and I am not a lawbreaker like you. I have a second witness in the person of my father. Verse 17. Jesus says, It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. In your law. It's written in your law, not in my law. It's written in your law. (laughs) 
I am the one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. So Jesus again is in Deuteronomy 17.6, which is what the Jews are trying to use against Jesus. And Deuteronomy 17.6 says, On the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses, he who is to die shall be put to death. He shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. And Deuteronomy 19.15 says, A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed on the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed or established. So, for the witness, for the second witness, he says, he bears witness of himself, that's first witness, and second witness, he says, is my father. But the Jews... (laughs) Are not impressed. And so, verse 19, they said to him, Where is your father? They want to see Jesus' father because they think Jesus is like them. They think Jesus is earthy, so he has to have some earthly father somewhere. They misunderstand what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is teaching them about the unique relationship. That he and the father have. But they, because of their fleshness, they understand it to mean that Jesus actually has some earthly father somewhere in Galilee. They want to see God's national ID card. <laughs> they are thinking as those who are from, from below, as those who are of the world. And this is a theme that is going to be very strong in this part of John chapter 8. Jesus is from above. They are from below. He is of his father. They are of the devil, their father. They claim they are of Abraham. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. If you were of Abraham, you would have done the deeds of Abraham. Abraham saw my day and he was glad. If you were of Abraham, you would not do the evil things that you are trying to do to me. You would have believed in me. So that is going to continue all the way to the end of this chapter. So the Jews are still not impressed. And Jesus says to them, You know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. Jesus tells them and says, Your question about my father is useless. Because you neither know me, Know my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also, and you would have believed in me. See the ordering, the ordering of Jesus' understanding of revelation. Jesus says, They could not know the father without knowing him. If one has seen Jesus, he has seen the father. Remember, Philip, show us the father. Jesus said to Philip, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If one has believed the Son, they have also, by default, believed in him who sent him, the Father. For the Father and Son are one, but the Son is the agent of revelation of the Father. But Jesus has to be revealed first. 
Jesus has to be revealed first because it is through him that God is known. It is through him that salvation comes. He is the mediator of all of God's revelation. If you want to know about God, you study and know the person of Christ. Which means if one stumbles at the person of Jesus, they have stumbled on all things pertaining to God. He is the only way to the Father. Jesus is the only way to the Father. But the Father has to reveal Jesus to you to know him. And Jesus has to reveal the Father to you to know the Father. And the Holy Spirit has to reveal Jesus to you through the word. And the Father has to drag you to Jesus. The Father has to draw you to Jesus. So this is a very airtight relationship. And it cannot be bridged. You need revelation from all the three persons of the Godhead. God loves and delights in revealing and hiding Jesus. He gets glory from revealing Jesus and he gets glory from hiding Jesus. People say God wants all men to come to Jesus. But Jesus says no. That is not true. Only those taught of my father will come to me. Only those drawn by my father will come to me. Only those who are born again from above will see, will believe in the kingdom of God. And John records for us and reminds us and says, verse 20, and brother Stan, that means you've come to the end. Hooray! These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple and no one laid hands on him for his hour he had not yet come. And no one could lay their hands on him. Why? Because he's the sovereign God. You can't lay your tentacles on God. And because he's God, he's not moving on the schedule of man of the world. He's not moving on the schedule of the man of the world. He is on the divine schedule. So hear me someone. Unless God gives you the testimony of who Jesus is, you will not believe in him and his gospel. The gospel is only the gospel because of who Christ is. And there are people who say, oh, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Oh, I believe that Jesus Christ is God. And yet they'll still say they are the ones who complete their salvation. When you say that, you are saying Jesus Christ is not God. You are giving with one hand and taking with the other. If Jesus Christ is God, then he perfected salvation. If Jesus Christ did not perfect salvation, then he is not God. So your testimony of him is also false. To know Jesus and to believe the gospel is not to come to church. That is false. To know Jesus is not trying to be righteous in your own works as to be accepted by God. If you know the true Jesus, then you don't trust yourself. You don't trust your own works. To know Jesus is to stand 
on his righteousness alone and putting no confidence in the works of the factory of the flesh. Because our flesh is a factory of works. Jesus said, for many shall come on that day. He already is giving prophecy. He knows what's going to happen. Thinking that they know Jesus. To present their works before him that they may be accepted by him. But Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. I don't think the church really knows that Matthew 7, 21 to 23 exists. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, they are claiming to know him. That's the claim. Shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father in heaven. Men who say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name. You see, there are three testimonies of their works. Three complete testimonies. Perfect testimonies of their own work. So they think they are perfect before God because of the things that they did. And then I was declared to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You will practice lawlessness. Why? Because they never were walking in the light of Christ. They were walking in darkness and they thought they were walking in light. They were walking in the light of their own works. And they were satisfied with the light of their own works, judging themselves by themselves and saying, God has to be happy with me. God has to accept me. Look what I did in his name. I prophesied in his name. I cast out demons in his name. And I did many wonders in his name that are not even worthy to mention. Many wonders. You did a lot of work. Jesus, accept us in your kingdom. Jesus Christ says he is the light of the world. He is your only way of salvation. You come to him and he will show you the way to approach God in peace. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your holy throne again. Lord, we worship you and thank you for your son, Jesus Christ whom you gave to us as our light that we may not walk in darkness and we praise you Lord that we have seen the light and we know the way of peace and we know the way to heaven because of Christ and Lord I pray that you cause your people to always look to Christ as their only hope as their only light of salvation and not for them to bring their own lamps and to bring their own flashlights that they may try to illuminate their own way to glory. We pray and we thank you, Lord, for your word. May you make it profitable in the hearts of your people. May you remind them that they may continue always to look to Christ. Always to be looking to touch the garments of Christ that they may be made well by him. Lord, we thank you for bearing and sovereign grace, church. May you enlarge the work that you've given us to do by the preaching of the gospel. Be with your people as they go out and as they come in. 
We pray for all those that you have granted to hear this message. Lord, may you give them ears to hear for the sake of your name. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.